Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, Sunday morning and time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, a very good morning to Virginia Haywood. Morning, Virginia. Good morning, Pam. And what a beautiful walk-in it was this morning. I love this weather. <laughs> well, we might get another thunderstorm this afternoon, they seem to think. I would be pleased with any rain. We'd love some rain, wouldn't we? Mm. Yes, it's been very dry. And, you know, we've had more in the valley than people out on the other side of the divide. They really need rain. Mm. We also, of course, because it's the second Sunday in the month, have to say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombenane. Morning, Graham. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there in, in the land of listening. I hope you're um, nice and awake and, hey, maybe you're up and in the garden, perhaps. Good, that's good. Or maybe you're getting ready to head into the big gardening show. The big gardening show at the, at the um, Royal Melbourne Showgrounds. Absolutely. And you're heading out there straight after the program, Graham. No, no Diana's going to be there. Oh, she, Diane's going to be there? She's the boss today. All right, okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm minding all the little baby roses back at the nursery. Ah. Yes. Well, it's a job that somebody has to do. Hey, how's the green out in the environment now? Isn't that brilliant? It's gorgeous. Even isn't those it? natives have got a beautiful green, haven't they, AB? <laughs> <laughs> yes, good morning, Good morning. They certainly have, Graham. And um, I drove up the coast uh, to Sydney, to Manly, last week week and absolutely everything was in bloom it was incredible so now is the perfect time if you're thinking of putting some natives in the garden it is the perfect time to take yourself for a walk somewhere in the wild somewhere that you really enjoy being and uh, just see what's in flower see what um, sort of tickles your fancy and then pop down to a nursery and yeah at the uh, flower show the Vaughan what's his name has got the most Brilliant stall of native plants. Phil Vaughan. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, he's brought up a lot. And also Angus Stewart, um, my good mate Angus, has um, brought... He's got some beautiful, beautiful kangaroo paws. Absolutely. So, And um, as Graham was saying, nobody... Oh, okay, maybe the Dutch do it better than us in terms of um, presentation. So we're as good as the Dutch (laughs) in presentation and plant quality. But, um, yeah, the the quality of plants is absolutely incredible. And one of the things about these shows is that you get to see all those wonderful specialist nurseries that run the stuff that Bunnings doesn't and you know antique um, country farmer there and Dixonia is there and it's so nice to go somewhere where you find people that you don't you, it's actually hard to access otherwise that's right and you can get information about these plants you know the growing conditions of the plants it's one thing reading about them you know on in, a label uh, three <laughs> lines on a label but to be able to get that you know first-hand information is invaluable isn't it and I think one of the things about the labels is they're written for you know half of Australia quite generic yes that, that's right so yeah. what if it's suitable for your garden it's not necessarily suitable for mine and they're only you know 10 miles 15 miles miles apart and so it's much better if you can actually talk to the people who've been growing the thing that's right and often what happens at these places is people congregate who you know are like-minded people congregate and they'll Mm. be able to give their own information about you know the growing conditions in their garden and Mm. and, and how the plants either thriving or not thriving in those conditions Um, so you can always pick up extra tidbits of information. I I was there on Friday and some 
quite heated discussions started amongst people and it Lovely. was just fascinating. Yeah. Yes, it was really interesting listening to these toings and froings about... About plants, I hope. About not plants, a, Not about yeah. who was having what sandwich. No, <laughs> not a sandwich mentioned. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> now we should spell out, um, the garden show we're talking about is officially called the Horticultural and Gardening Festival. It is running uh, out at Melbourne Showgrounds. Today is the last day, so if you haven't been out, um, certainly do... Pop along to the showgrounds. There's parking on site. Um, just looking at, uh, there's a, a whole range of talks and demonstrations that have been given each day. And just looking at the uh, timetable for today, you've got uh, people like Emma Dean, who won MasterChef, talking about uh, all sorts of cooking things. I noticed this afternoon she's even talking about cooking with nettles, which would be great. Um, Angus Stewart will be there um, demonstrating and talking all about how to get your native plants to reach their full potential. Um, there's uh, Mark Olive uh, will be uh, giving an insight into cooking kangaroo. Uh, Simon Rickard, our good friend Simon, is going to be talking about the gardens of Japan. Um, <clears throat> let me see, what else do we have? Um, and Stephen's emceeing all <clears throat> this. Yes, and Diana, of course, is going to be up on stage talking about growing roses organically. So there's lots and lots of um, excellent talks and presentations, but not only that, there's a lot of stalls, both both undercover and outside as well. Mm. Uh, there's five uh, display gardens for you to have a, a look at. Um, and some, as you were saying, Virginia, some of the... Um, Stall holders that are selling plants have got the most wonderful range of, of, of plants there. Um, really beautiful and in, in, in fantastic quality. And it's so nice to actually be able to do it now. You buy such different plants in autumn. I mean, the two times that you hit your garden is spring and autumn. Exactly. But what it's, it's much more difficult to get that really high-quality stuff from the small nurseries that are actual growers mm. in spring because you have to actually get into the car and go out into the country to find them. Mm. So it's lovely to so have them come collected. To us. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and I, th- I think with this show, uh, there's, you know, there's a bit of a push towards you know, the um, um, growing and cooking with with the foods, um, but there's also a lot of ornamental plants as well. Heaps so. of ornamentals, and and I really thought that um, Philip Vaughan's display was just gobsmackingly oh, I'm looking beautiful. Looking forward to seeing it today. It was fabulous, yep. mm. just fabulous. And they tell me there's some interesting foods and food samples there. Diana was absolutely rapt about the ginger wine. Yes, oh right, yes, a whole range of different ginger wine from the materials she bought at home, and I thought, hey, that's exciting, isn't it? Yes, right, yeah, yes. Yeah. And of course, Mark Olive is um, is featuring all your bush tucker foods mm. and, and spices and herbs. So, um, uh, yes, some really interesting foods out there. And mm. as I say, if Emma, Emma Dean this, today is talking about not only nettles but also about urban foraging, which has become a an in thing at the moment, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> Food absolutely. <for> <laughs> yes, I recently purchased a um, a weed book and um, have been introducing a few weeds to uh, my foods just a little bit at a time. You know, it's interesting because sometimes you you taste them and you think, oh, my God, that is really quite disgusting. But then if you taste uh, purple lettuce, for example, on its own, it's very bitter. Mm. Uh, but we're mm. just so used to eating particular foods and not others. Mm. And I think by introducing weeds, as we like to call them, um, you're bringing in particular minerals and vitamins that we might not have in our diet. You know, these plants are drawing these minerals out of the ground. You know, they're, um, they're, they're plants that thrive in really 
bad environments, and yet they manage to get these nutrients out of the ground. And if we can bring well, them in. nettles into- are an absolute. Oh, nettle absolutely. Nettle suit is divine. Mm. Yeah. A friend of mine who lives in Bellingen, she wrote a book on eating weeds in the 1980s. I mean, it's not new, and they've been writing about it in Britain for oh, forever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Since um, time but we, we do tend to, as we get removed from our, our farming backgrounds, we, we forget, we, we lose that contact about mm. how to actually um, locate things around us. Yeah, and we're so paranoid, and, and rightly so in a way, about what's poisonous. I mean, there, mm. there are quite a few poisonous things out there, but what I've learnt is it, it, often it's about the preparation, how you actually deal with them. Well, that's what killed Burke and Wills. He saw the women eating, uh, preparing nardu, and so when they got lost, they ate nardu, but of course they only ever sat with the men, so they didn't realise you had to had prepare to, it very to, specially. Yeah, soak it and whatnot. Nardu yeah. is in my pond. I must not eat it unless I learn how to do it. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, I got all excited and thought, oh, yes, I'm going to um, grow some dandelions, you know, because they're, you know, high in calcium, blah, blah, blah. Dandelion um, tea for your liver. Exactly, yeah. And um, But the really funny thing is I I couldn't actually grow them in the glass house. I felt like a complete failure because I was like, come on, you're weeds, you know, you just grow wild and crazy. Not in the glass house, But they really didn't like my glass house environment. And the dandelion's interesting too. It has a, a massive um, uh, taproot. That's right. Which is yeah. really, really grouse. And we've been pulling some of it out in the garden. And it just opens up that soil and yep. lets the roots of the other plants in as well. Mm. And um, I've noticed the fowls. I've, I feed a whole range of different weeds and grasses to the fowls when they're in the pen because we only let them out for an hour or so a day. Otherwise, they just, you know, work get to work on the yep. garden. And um, they just love a range of different things. Mm. Peter Andrews and his book uh, talked about his research that he did, had carried out in England in adjusting racehorses. And he said that he found that in England, the adjustment people who were real experts at it um, said that if you have any less than 160 herbs or grasses or weeds in your paddocks, your, your property's going backwards. Mm. And that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. So we've got that whole need to to diversify with with that in our environment as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, of course, with the plants that have got those really deep, long tap roots, I mean, they, they break up the soil, they encourage all the critters to move in and, you know, they in turn bring their own goodies. Mm. Um, you know, I think borage is a, is a classic example of a plant that's got a really deep root system. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, it might be good to plant. I mean, we've got really rocky clay soil and there's an area that I want to cultivate for a, a um, dwarf apple orchard and um, I just thought oh, I wonder if it would be useful to plant a few potatoes. borage potatoes before, oh, I really don't think potatoes are going to grow in it it's yeah Whereas they're the classic thing for breaking up the soil yeah do you think mm, they are I can't imagine planting a potato in it but I sort of could imagine popping a um, popping I've a got a lot of borage in my garden the bees are just going Absolutely yeah, they love mad it, don't they? Yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it is it is a good plant for so many reasons and, and the and girls don't eat it, so it is weedy, but it's not very weedy. I mm. find it hasn't it doesn't escape out of my garden, but doesn't it escapes go, all over the garden. Yeah. It mm. doesn't go mad. Mm. We've been um, doing work with um, liquid manures and putting weeds in a Hessian bag and immersing them into a, a tub of water, a forty four gallon drum. And the interesting thing about a that tub. is Yeah. <laughs> The interesting thing about that is the frogs have got into the tub 
So they're happy with that environment because the frogs are there to feed on the smaller insects that are coming off that liquid liquid manure that's in, in the actual tub. And, and of course, comfrey, Russian, well, what, mm. what we know as Russian comfrey, is a great thing to have in mm. that, with that liquid manure. And, and it's fantastic correct. in your compost. Yes. Because it breaks yes. down the compost. Just be faster. careful with it in the garden, though. Don't let it go, <laughs> go crazy. I, I find the borage escapes more than the comfrey does. Really? Mm. Okay. Mm. Mm, that's interesting. So, with the liquid compost, have you done any pH testing on it? No pH, no. Wouldn't that be interesting to do pH testing and sort of a mineral analysis on it mm-hmm. and, and see exactly what you're getting from those weeds mm-hmm. that you're mm-hmm. then putting into the garden? So will you then water it down before you put it on the garden? Yeah, mm-hmm. I've diluted it down about oh, 10, 15 to 1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I've been working on, on uh, one section of the garden that I know there's a mineral deficiency. And roses are brilliant for showing up min- mineral deficiencies in the soil. It'll show up in the leaves. Yeah. And um, one section that I had problems with, with the rose that I'd actually bred, there was about um, oh, 80, 80 plants in this area. And two years ago, I started on the mineral deficiency, just put watering in with this diluted liquid uh, manure with a watering can, and it's, it's, it's corrected. Mm, it's fantastic. got that balance. And that's just what feeds the soil mm, microbes. Mm. And we tend to forget about them because we can't see them. Yeah. And um, the soil microbes are... are essential to break down the minerals and the manures to make it available to the plant. Yeah, and it is about putting on as much different stuff as possible, isn't it? You know, the yes. wormweeds, the compost, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. different And the manures. other one I think is important, which people forget, is use your fork. Don't use your spade. Yes. I mean, yes. why cut up more worms I, I than you know, absolutely I've have never, to? I never use my spade. No, I, you have I to use feel, a fork. Yeah, mm. yeah, in fact, usually I use my hands, but <laughs> just so I can be as gentle as possible. Mm. But yeah. But that's the combination, isn't it? Loosen it with the fork and yeah. then get down on your knees and use your hands. Yeah. And the amount of worm life that doesn't get murdered mm. by doing that... Mm. And I, I, especially, I've got such big fat ones at the moment. I adore them. I can't bear to <laughs> hack them in half. Yeah. Mm. Although I must say, with the, with the forking, I am starting to become um, slightly more fond of the no dig garden. And um, mm. I was reading one of Esther Dean's book from I don't know when the seventies, I suppose it was, and um, she was a big proponent for the no dig. And it makes total sense to me. You know, the, all those um, strep mycelium strands. Mm, you know, mm. just really connecting um, what's going on in the soil underneath and if we come along and disrupt it you know every season or twice a year you know digging it all over and breaking up those strands I can't see the point of I mean I dig to put things in yeah but I don't I don't if I if I have sheep poo for example I just scatter it on top like it's a mulch yeah I don't I'm not going to dig it in I don't want to disturb the soil where it doesn't need to be but it's such a um I mean, in a way, digging over a vegetable garden is, is comforting, isn't yeah. it? You know, you sort of get used to that idea of it. So it's, it takes a bit to step back and say, OK, well, I'm just going to let this go and just make a little hole where I'm going to put my seedling in and, mm-hmm. um, you know, rip out the rest of the weeds. And, yeah, and, of course, that, that would prevent any new weeds, weed seeds, from being turned over and exposed to the light and germinating. So that's my idea anyway. Mm-hmm. OK, well, it's uh, time I got to some community announcements. Um, now... People really need to um, to have a paper and pencil. Um, I do give out um, a lot of details when we uh, do have these community announcements come in because there's often a lot of different events happening. Um, I can't keep repeating them, obviously, uh, throughout the program. So um, I do advise you to get a paper and pencil. That way you can note down any that you might be interested in going to. 
So first up today, the Warringal Orchid Society have got their show on. Now, this is uh, opening at 9.30 this morning, running through until 4 o'clock this afternoon. The venue is the St. Sava Community Centre. Now, that's at 212 Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro. Melway's map reference there is 11C8, and uh, entry for that one is $4. There'll be light refreshments, potting demonstrations, orchid accessories, all available there. So that's uh, today, 9.30 till 4, St. Sava Community Centre, 212 Diamond Creek Road in Greensboro. Now, also on today, uh, I mentioned last week, Open Gardens Victoria um, have got a wonderful garden open today in Camberwell. It's called Astolat, A-S-T-O-L-A-T. The address is 630 Riversdale Road in Camberwell. And uh, it's open from 4 o'clock through to 4.30 this afternoon. Entry price is $10. Children under 18 are free. Students, entry of $5. And as well as the open garden, there'll be Scotchman's Hill wine tastings from 11am through till 4. And there will also be opera performances by students from the Melbourne Opera Trust. And that will take place at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Now, it, this gives a wonderful rare glimpse of life in gracious 19th century Melbourne. And it's a really elegant, beautiful garden um, with a very impressive Italianate Victorian mansion. So if you've never been along there, I know you would love this garden. I went there a couple of years ago and it is just beautiful. So it's Astolat, 630 Riversdale Road in Camberwell. Now, also on today, um, we've been talking about the uh, the garden show that's out at the showgrounds, but there is another garden festival on today, and this is uh, Stonington's award-winning Sustainability and Gardening Festival. Now, um, it's uh, in the Paran Victoria Gardens, so um, it's called Victoria Gardens. It's in Paran. It's only on today. There's going to be workshops and demonstrations for all ages and levels of gardening. Uh, uh, there'll be a lot for those with limited outdoor spaces. So there'll be Do It On The Roof. We'll run demonstrations on green roof and green wall installations. Balcony Life will be demonstrating how to create stunning gardens in small or concrete spaces. Um, Justin Calverley of Sensory Gardens is going to be getting back to basics on how to on composting and worm farming and also uh, into permaculture. Uh, the big gardeners of all levels can question uh, Vasily's interactive Q&A session. Uh, the Sage Garden is going to be running a special gardening workshop and edible planting demonstration just for children. And uh, there's going to be over 30 market stalls offering a diverse range of specialist products. Now, this includes the Cactus and Succulent Society of Australia, Post Office Farm Nursery, as well as local community gardens, clubs and services. So that's all happening today. It opens at 11am this morning, running through until 3pm. So you've only got four hours to uh, to pop along to uh, participate in that particular one. So the location is Victoria Gardens, which is in High Street, Paran. Uh, 
I went to that a couple of years ago, Pam, and it really is gorgeous because Victoria Gardens, of course, have got all those mature, I think they might be elms, I actually quite, can't remember, but it's such a lovely setting mm. for a garden show and it's absolutely packed out. You know, it's a relatively small area and everybody, you know, just hordes of people come in and there's kids running everywhere and there was delicious food and, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic day. Great. Now... Again, we've got another big garden and home expo on uh, this weekend, and this one is the Gippsland Borbor Garden and Home Expo. Um, this is their 15th annual one. They've been uh, doing this every year, and uh, by all accounts, it's a really excellent one. Now, they've got 40 specialist and general nurseries there. There's a first-class orchid display. There's landscaping, permaculture. Things like tanks and water-saving devices, gardening tools and machinery, shade and hot houses. I know our good friend Derek will be down there today with his uh, shade houses. There's bars and pools, statues and garden features and uh, lots more. Now, it's at Lardner Park. That's spelt L-A-R-D-N-E-R. Lardner Park via Warrigal. It's in the Melways. Um, and uh, as I say... Lots and lots of demonstrations as well by experts right throughout uh, today. Admission, adults $10, children under 16 free. It's held in three huge pavilions and surrounds. There'll be plenty of children's activities, including free potting of a plant. Um, There'll be extensive catering by some of the other service clubs. Plenty of parking, just no dogs allowed. And all proceeds are donated by the Druins Lion Club back to the community. So uh, if you'd like more inquiries, you can phone Maureen. Her number is 5625-4589. That's 5625-4589. And as I say, just uh, just look up your Melways and you'll see Lardner Park uh, listed there quite easily to find. Uh of course, the other big uh, happening for the whole of October is Gardevalia, which is also a festival of gardens. They've got open gardens, they've got garden events, they've got inspiring workshops, and these take place right throughout the month of October. Uh, it's a huge, extensive program. I mean, it's a it's a whole little booklet here with... Um, with lots and lots of pages of uh, not just open gardens, but as I say, lots and lots of workshops. Um, it's such an extensive program, I really can't go through and mention it all. Uh, the easiest way to find out what is happening this weekend and then the following couple of weekends for October is to go to their website. And uh, the website is www.gardevalia.com. Dot com dot au. That's www.gardevalia.com.au and that way you can uh, have a look down the full extensive program of all that's happening over the next three weekends. Now also uh, <clears throat> Friends of Burnley Gardens um, have got a talk coming up. This is taking place on Tuesday the 13th of October. Uh, it's a talk by Brian Patton. And he's talking about bromeliads. Are they fashionable designer plants or are they tried and true oldies? Now, uh, he's a respected member and past president of the Bromeliad Society. 
He has a vast collection of bromeliads and orchids, and he's going to bring along a display selection of them from his own collection uh, to talk about uh, bromeliads in their natural environment. Now, as I mentioned, it's Tuesday, 13th of October. It takes place in Room 10 at Burnley College, which is there in 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. And uh, the uh, Room 10 is in the main building on the ground floor. Now, start time of 7 o'clock for a 7.30 start. Cost is $5 for members of Friends of Burnley Gardens, $15 for non-members. Bookings are essential. And to book, the number is 9035. 6861. That's 9035-6861. Or you can email a.smith at unimelb.edu.au. That's a.smith at unimelb.edu.au. Just a couple more I need to quickly get through because these are all happening uh, in this uh, next week or next weekend. Uh, Now, the Brunswick Women's Choir are having um, an open gardens fundraiser in Clifton Hill. Now, this is taking place next weekend, 17th and 18th of October, and uh, there's going to be five gardens open in all, and cost to go into those whole five gardens is $12, which is fantastic. Um, Now, you begin at number 92 Ramsden Street, that's spelled R-A-M-S-D-E-N, Ramsden Street, and then from there you can walk to the other four gardens. As I say, donation $12 per adult, children are free, and they will be open from 10 o'clock through to 4 o'clock on both Saturday and Sunday of next weekend. There'll be light refreshments all day, Devonshire teas um, as well, but they do... uh, make a special note that there will be uneven surfaces so uh, the gardens are not suitable for prams, wheelchairs and walking frames and certainly don't bring your dog. So that's next weekend um, uh, all in uh, the Clifton Hill area. That first address to get to and then you can walk to the others is 92 Ramsden Street in Clifton Hill. Uh, now, also next week end, the Australian Plant Society South Gippsland branch have got a native flower show and plant sale on, uh, both Saturday and Sunday of next week end. This is taking place in the Leongatha Recreation Reserve, Roughhead Street in Leongatha, and it will actually be held in the exhibition shed there. Time is 10 till 4 on both days. Entry is $4. Children are free. They'll have a large display of Australian flowers with named specimens, plant sales, and there will be a book sale uh, uh, which will be taking place from the Bun Yurong Environment Centre in Inverloch. So that uh, the book sales are at Bun Yurong Environment Centre in Inverloch as, uh, in conjunction with that Australian Plant Society flower show and plant sale. Okay, well, it's uh, high time I introduced our guest that's just arrived in the studio. And I have to say a very, very good morning to David Reid. Morning, David. Morning, Pam. How are you? Good, thank you. And David, you're the Industry Development Officer there at Nursery and Garden Industry Victoria. 
Yes, I certainly am. Right. Yeah. That'll keep you busy. Yeah, oh, yeah. look, the, the wholesalers and the retailers are so busy at the moment. It's such Spring. A, yeah, amazing time of year. Love <laughs> Absolutely. It. Now, I, I asked you to come in on the program because you've got something very special happening tomorrow in Burke Street Mall in the city. Yes, yeah. Look, we're really excited. We're doing a... Uh, Urban Heat Island Garden in the city with uh, with Mark Browning from uh, Cycus Design, uh, Chelsea Award winner. Yes. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. We're setting up a garden. We're we're starting it at about three thirty tomorrow morning. Okay. Yeah. So there's going to be about five of us. Oh you know, goodness. All, all bleary eyed and <laughs> you know hepped up on coffee, just trying to stay awake. Absolutely. Um, yeah, building a um, a garden in Burke Street Mall, sort of uh, just outside the Maya building. We're doing a ten by five garden. Okay. Yeah, and that is only going to be up for a day. Uh, we're going to pull it down at maybe about seven o'clock. All that work for one day. Yeah, I know. It's uh, what's it all for? I wonder. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you said something rather special, which I think gives the listeners a bit of a clue. You called it a heat island garden. Yeah, look, it's uh, the garden is, I guess, is a uh, Mark Browning sort of interpretation of the urban heat island effect. So, if you don't know the urban heat island effect, what that is, it's uh, it's basically um, well, urbanisation uh, uh, really does affect our environment. Um, you know, we have a, an increase in uh, in surfaces that absorb heat. Uh, and you have, a, I guess, a modification of the physical uh, environments, um, which essentially what that does, it increases the heat in cities like we have here in Melbourne, mm. and you have cooler areas out in sort of the rural areas. Exactly. Um, so it, it's, it's essentially a, a heat island um, surrounded by a, a sea of... Uh, Concrete. Well, yeah, yeah, essentially. Concrete, bitumen, glass. Black bitumen. Yes. I mean, how ridiculous. Yes. That's right. So what we're trying to do is, is, uh, I guess, draw attention to the benefits of green spaces and and how uh, the loss and the fragmentation of our green spaces in our cities can really, uh, I guess, increase the risk of heat-related illnesses. Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. And I think some people are starting to get an inkling of this. I mean, you only need to walk in off the street into the the Melbourne Botanic Gardens and you feel that drop in temperature instantly. But luckily, we are starting to get a bit more awareness of of greening up our cities, aren't we? We're starting to do rooftop gardens, for instance. We're starting to do balcony gardens to try and soften, not only soften the look of of our, our city buildings, but to also, again... Just drop that temperature down. Yeah, that's right. In, in our private green spaces, uh, look, we can do things like that. And we've also, we're quite lucky in the city of Melbourne. I mean, mm. they, they've recognised this and they've recognised how important it is. They're trying to make Melbourne a forest city, aren't they? Which is just, and they've done tests that show that if you go to some of those main streets and you you measure the heat of the asphalt underneath a tree, and it can be 15 degrees less than the heat of the asphalt, which is over 50 uh, you know, just in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The city of Melbourne are doing the idea of a, a city in a forest, city not a forest in a, forest. in a city. I yeah. think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. I think it's not only about the heat in the streets itself, but it's the heat in the people, you know. Angry people get out into nature, suddenly you're relaxing a bit more. You know, you're also creating those uh, corridors of green which can help the birds and, and, and fauna move move through from park to park, you know, if you've got those plants in the inner city. Yeah, that's right. Instead of those urban canyons that we that's have. That's right, yeah. 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 So, what plants are you using? Well, look, we're, we're using about ten thousand dollars worth of plants. Um, thankfully, donated for the day by Warner's Nurseries. Um, look, 
It's actually going to be a really interesting garden. It's basically, the idea is it's, it's dead in the middle, um, so lots of charcoal and sort of darker plants, and then going out into lush green on the, out, on the outer edges, you know, similar to the urban heat island. Um, so, look, uh, lots of uh, bright plants. So we've got lots of the kangaroo paws are out at the moment. Terrible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Angus will be very disappointed to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, look, uh, Mark Browning's got the whole list and there's, there's an amazing amount of plants we're going to be using. Fantastic. Yes. Now, the whole display garden is going to be open to the public tomorrow? Oh, sure. Look, it's, it's in the city, you know, yes. and we're there to sort of talk to people and, and tell them and, and make them aware of the urban heat island effect. And, uh, How and, important and, is to plant things in your own garden on your nature, nature strip everywhere you can? That's right. You know, we're activating in the city, but activate your own space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Don't pull down all the trees. And, and other local councils, the, the real need for more street trees. Mm. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we're definitely on board with that. So it's in Burke Street Mall. Burke Street Mall. How big is it? Uh, Look, about 10 metres by about 5 metres. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So, look, we're obviously going to be going across to the tram tracks. I was going to say, what happens to the trams? (laughs) Yeah, they're going over it. (laughs) (laughs) Not under? Oh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, should be excellent. So so you're starting at 3 a.m. Yep. When do you hope to have it all up and running? Uh, by about eight, nine? Oh no, we'll have it all done by about six thirty, I'd say. Really? Yeah. Wow! We've got some um, great help from students from um, uh, from Burnley. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, everyone sort of pitching in to help out. So. It'll be so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get all. Hopefully, the uh, the weather stays good as well. I haven't had a look. There's meant to be a thunderstorm tonight. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, about three o'clock when we start. Yeah. It'll yeah. Be, it'll <laughs> be, I don't know. It'll, it'll be, be a lovely finish. clear air. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. That's yeah. Great. Um, because it's only there for a day, you have to document it. Loads of photos just to show what is possible. Yeah. Look, I invite everybody to come down, take photos. You have know, you got someone filming it? Uh, yes, we will be filming it. Excellent. Yep. Um, you know, upload your photos with the hashtag Urban Heat Island Effect. Um, yeah, and just connect with other people and just sort of uh, understand how important green spaces are. Yes. Fabulous. And I just feel it. for yourself mm. the temperature. Are you going to be having thermometers? You should have a th- thermometer next to the garden and then one in the garden <laughs> and uh, hopefully it's a, the uh, temperature's a bit lower in the garden. Well, look, it, essentially, look, it, it's always going to be cooler in the shade. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Um, but no no thermometers, I dare say they're going to get lost in that. all those plants. <laughs> yes, they would. <laughs> and will you have lots of people there explaining to passers-by about what's going on? And Yeah, sure. Look, yep. it, it is all about the plants. Yeah, yep. 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 It is all about the plants, but we'll be there as well talking to everyone. Wonderful. Yeah. And how exhausted will you be Monday night? Oh, you should see me after about three or four coffees during the day. I am going to be a mess. <laughs> well, of course, and the problem is, Virginia, that they don't just have to build the garden no, tomorrow morning. They've got to take it down to disassemble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disassembling is always yeah. a drag. Yes. Yeah. What a pity it couldn't have stayed up for a week. It would have yes. been such a great thing to... Oh, uh, look, you know, the Burke Street Mall... How much would that benefit just to have great big swathes of green through it? My big problem with the city square is that they have never put enough trees in. Yeah. And it's, it's, got, it's so hot in summer. That's right. They it's... just need some big trees to give some shade and people would use it much, much more. Yeah, there's... It's too hot to sit in there. Yeah, there's very little respite from the heat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I presume Melbourne City Council have come on board with this. David? Definitely, yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Look, you can't do anything in the city without, no, no, without no, getting no. a permit. Yeah, and I've been working with Helen 
Tooton on, on the garden? No, no. Uh, we've been working with the um, with the green space people over at the city of Melbourne, and yep. um, yeah, they've sort of done us uh, some some favours with some permits. So uh, yeah, yeah, look, they've been really helpful. Fantastic. Well, I do urge listeners if you're going to be anywhere near the city tomorrow. Um, do go and have a look. Pop down to the Burke Street Mall and have a look at what they're doing. Talk to some of the crew that are there about how much more we could achieve if we could green up the whole of this city. And uh, and other local councils, for goodness sake, come down, have a look and come on board with, with more plantings around your local areas because mm. it, it has to help. We It's the way of the future. We've really got to go in this direction. Mm. Yeah, yes. No, no, you're right. And, look, I, I think that, you know, Melbourne City Council, they've obviously got it. You know, they're the best practice council. And mm. you've got all the other councils that are looking to see how, how they do things. Obviously, you know, there's... Yarra's um, pretty good. Yeah, that's yes, right. Yes, City of Yarra have been but very good. M- my other council, which is the Shire of Yarra Rangers, is truly appalling. Appalling. Well, they think they don't have to do anything because they're automatically in a, in a more rural area, you mm. see. Well, look, it, it, you know, it's all about contacting the council, telling them what you want. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I mean, ratepayers, you have a voice. So uh, get on board. You certainly do. Yep. All the best with the construction Thanks, and the, the destruction. <laughs> <construction. laughs> You're welcome to come down and help. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. No, I'll come and have a look then. <laughs> it's fantastic, uh, though, that uh, Mark Browning's come on board with this and prepared to put in his time and, and uh, his labour in, into doing this. Um, and you know, congratulations to Nursery and Garden Industry Victoria for. I, I, this isn't the first time they've done something like this in the city, is it? I think. No, I've done a few. Yes, yeah. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, it's it's a bit of fun, and you know, it's. Uh, but at the same time, it's 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 making people aware of. You know, imagine what your city could be like. You know. Exactly, mm. and of course, we should also mention people like Turf Victoria and Warners. Have all come on board as well to help and donate plants and product. And That's right. And Lawn Solutions are giving us a lot of turf because it's not just trees. You know, it's 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 not just shrubs. And it's... one thing you have to say is synthetic grass is not cool. Oh, that makes me so sad to see synthetic grass in people's front front Shocking. yards. And you Shocking. still see the weeds coming through as well. Yeah. And and I just perish the thought. You know, if you had a dog or something like that, you let out into the, you know, into the yard with synthetic grass. You know, it's doesn't do a wonder of breaking down so quickly. No, yeah. <laughs> no biodiversity and heat. Yeah. It's hot. Yes. And if children fall over on synthetic grass, they get terrible burns. Mm. It's just not a good idea at all. Oh, yeah. Look, I completely agree. I mean, you might as well paint concrete green mm. as have synthetic grass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, if you uh, – I could talk underwater about the benefits of turf <laughs> as well. Uh, but I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, great for you to pop in. You know, all the best with it. I do encourage listeners to get down to the city tomorrow and and have a look and have a feel and just enjoy the environment. Yeah, thanks, Pam. Okay, good on you. No worries. Thanks, David. All right, it's high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. That's 94190155. 419-0155. We'd love to hear from you, so do give us a call. Virginia, we have something else important we need to talk about while we're waiting for some of our listeners to uh, to call in. Um, but you've just been recently to a guides conference. I've just been in Sydney for a week for a guides conference, and 
it was it was wonderful. They have them every two years, and although I've been guiding for ten years, this is my first. So not girl guides, I assume. No, this is. <laughs> I missed that. Pass that one. Yeah, yeah, missed that one completely. So this is the um, volunteer guides for botanic gardens, and this conference is for anybody who is a guide in New Zealand or Australia. And just on that, the Melbourne Gardens in in South Yarra are recruiting new volunteer guides. So if any of our listeners are looking for some volunteering, it's a great thing to do. It's not too demanding. It's very interesting. I do one or two walks a month and one meeting a month obligatory, and then I will do maybe another walk, maybe a booked walk. It's not... um, Really, not too taxing. It's not too taxing. Yep. You can fit it in, and they're now recruiting for a, a 2016 um, intake. There's going to be two information sessions: one on Monday, the 12th of October at 1:30, and so one, that's tomorrow. Yes, and we and our guides meeting is tomorrow, and so some of us will be around, stay around for that um, intake meeting, so we can talk to people. Can go Good. to the Burke Street Mall afterwards. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> And then there's another one on Tuesday the 20th of October at 6pm for those who have got work commitments. And the com- and what will be necessary for the training program is every Wednesday for 12 weeks from March, 2nd of March there will be a training program. The training program is fabulous because you just learn so much. It's like going to the guides conference. I mean learning is such fun. You don't have to stop because you're an adult. And in the guides conference in Sydney... I just learnt so many things I didn't know. I went to a session on figs. You think of figs and you think of figs that we eat and you think of figs. There's huge fig trees in the botanic gardens. I found out so much about figs. When you look at the fruit, the flower is internal to That's the fruit. That's right. Yes. Which yes. is quite different to the vast majority it's of the fruit. It's hard to get your head around that, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. And the wasp, the female wasps, they, they are only fertilised by wasps and the wasps come inside the fruit, fertilise... Uh, fertilise some of the flower, lay their eggs and then die. And then the young are drilled out by the male wasps later. I mean, it's an extraordinary... And and there's something like 850 fig trees and there's 850 different fig wasps because each tree tree has its own. And absolutely extraordinarily, Mm. the Moreton Bay fig and the Jackson Bay fig both have been planted in New Zealand many, many years ago. They're in Hawaii as well. But the New Zealand ones, the wasps have made it across the ocean and are now there fertilising the figs, which, of course, is a problem because they've suddenly become potentially a pest. Yes. But how does this tiny little wasp... I mean, it takes me four hours to fly there. How do they do it? That's fantastic. It's extraordinary. It it is extraordinary. And the thing about our conference was we we did um, trips to Mount Toma, the botanic gardens in, in the mountains... We had fab, we did, I did another session on tree diseases, Phytophthora are malaria. It, it was just fascinating. It was quite exciting. And there is a lot of fun to being a guide. I love taking my walks. I meet such interesting people. And do you need to be a qualified horticulturalist? No, not at all. Okay, so just a keen interest in plants. And history. Yeah. Because, of course, our garden is very historically important. So part of the training session is about the history and how the garden's developed uh, you, and you learn about... Um, the Wurundjeri people and how they used the land before and how the gardens developed, who the great designers of the gardens were. You just develop enough information and every guide gives a different talk. There's nothing 
specific. You just find what you're... I mean, I'm because I am a horticulturalist, I tend to know a lot of the plants. But some of the other guides know very few of the plants, but they know heaps about the history. Mm-hmm. So everybody gives a different story. Different people walk different bits of the garden. We mm. all have our own bits that we like most. I mean, if you're particularly interested in, in one plant family, for instance, then you can you could gear your walk around that particular section of the gardens. Absolutely. Yes. So. If you're particularly interested in, in Government House. Yes. You know, you, I mean, the history between the house and the gardens is extensive. You know, there's, so there's all sorts of, if you're interested, I mean, if in, you can do it just on the royal family from Princess Di all the way back to the Queen Mum. Mm. You know, the, it's, there's, all, there's so many different aspects. And is the call for volunteers only for the Botanic Gardens Melbourne and not for Cranbrook? Yes, yep. yes, okay. it's so just for Melbourne. You'd just yes. be yeah, yeah. talking there. Fantastic. Yeah. And there doesn't tend to be much... Many people, there's one of our guides is actually a guide at the Geelong Gardens as well. Mm-hmm. None of our guides are at Cranbourne, of course, that's just sheer distance. Yeah. You know, Cranbourne is actually, unfortunately, a long way from us because Cranbourne, as people know, won the best garden in the world competition a couple of years ago. It mm. is just a truly extraordinary garden. Mm. And they also, all the botanic gardens have volunteers. It's mm. a very important tradition. Uh, and volunteering is, it, it keeps you. After you're retired, particularly, it keeps you in touch with people that you wouldn't otherwise meet. If, if you become too insular, it's not good for your brain space. Mm. And do the guides have any say in the overall design of the garden? Like, is there input there um, with the people who are actually designing and we, you know, the, working on the, the garden? The people in the gardens talk to us all the time. They yeah. come to our meetings and, and give us well, – every meeting we'll have a feedback from a, either from Andrew Laidlaw, who's yeah. the garden designer – um, or anybody else within the gardens. There'll be some, the tree man comes sometimes. Some, you know, a particular area of the gardens will be filled in about. And of course, then we have a question and answer. But uh, the actual design of the gardens, is, well, one, it's historic, mm. and so is constrained by the importance of Guilfoyle, who Absolutely. Did, the, did the particular design. And we still, li- it's so beautifully designed. We still live within that design. But you do put in new beds and. That sort of thing, don't yes, you? Every yes, now and again, yes. no, you've got that uh, uh, new water saving yes. bed that you were talking yes. about a while ago. Yeah, just so people can come uh, that, and see what's see thriving that, that doesn't get watered. But that, uh, yes, the water saving beds, yeah. are, and I think unfortunately they're going to become very important again this year. We've had a little respite from El Nino, but it looks like we're back there. And what has happened with the garden? Well, I think one of the really interesting things about the botanic gardens is how it does continually grow and change. I mean, the children's garden was done, what, 10, 15 years ago. You know, it wasn't there before. Mm. That's right. And that's had a revamp, hasn't it? And the fern garden has had a complete overhaul. Re- yep. And that is fabulous. Yep. But it's still within, w- with respect to Guilfoyle. It is very important that that respect to the, the, the great to the historic design, design is, is held. Yes. 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 So Absolutely. is that more about the... Um, focus on the design rather than the plants used so you might uh, stick with the design principles but use different plants well this is one of the problems that melbourne city council has been having as well in in the gardens throughout the melbourne city council areas often you have riparian plants planted at the top of hills a riparian plant is something that should be down by the river and with the changing climate there has to be some change in how we plant we we can't pretend even though some prime ministers do, we can't pretend that we don't have global warming. And so the planting has to change for the future. Mm. And a lot of the trees in the botanic gardens are senescing. They're getting, you know, they've been 
We don't plants that live for six hundred years in Europe might not live that long here. You know, they don't stop growing in winter like they do in Europe. You know, the conditions are so different, and so. There's going to be change over the next 50 years. It's very, very important. Mm-hmm. I notice they've done a whole lot of uh, new planting of eukes or angophoras along, is it Birdwood Avenue? Yes. Up near the Shine. And mm. they're real. I mean, they went in probably, what, three years ago and they're really well, taking off love nicely. Well, the aren't tree they? man from the MCC had, from the Melbourne City Council, had real trouble about changing some of those trees because he wanted to plant what had not replant what had been there before because they were riparian, because they were going to be inappropriate with global warming. But he's he's done a marvellous job on replanting. And it's really yeah. starting to create that mm. avenue feel again, yes, isn't it? it's yeah. lovely. Yeah, they're really taking on. Okay, so just to repeat uh, that information again, if you've got any interest at all or think you might be interested in doing some volunteering at uh, the Royal Botanic Gardens here in Melbourne... Um, it's worthwhile you going along to one of those sessions anyway, even if you then desire, decide it's not for me. Yes. Um, but those uh, those sessions would be really, really well worthwhile to go to. So be good. F- and if you come tomorrow, I'll be there. Yep. So and the first one is tomorrow. It's at one thirty. Uh, it's in the Mueller Hall. Um, for listeners who don't know where the Mueller Hall is, Virginia? It's on... Birdwood, Birdwood Avenue. Avenue, and you can catch the number eight tram there very easily. Or, of course, there's, I mean, paid parking all around there. And the next one is Tuesday at the 20th October at 6 p.m., also in Mueller Hall. And if you're interested but want to talk to someone, you can talk to our coordinator, whose name is Jane, Jane Griffin, and her number is 92522331. 9252 or au. Fantastic. And Mueller Hall is a cream building just past the shrine. Yes, you, you yes, can't so miss you, it. You can't miss it. It's, mm. it's, it's virtually on a corner there, isn't it? And it's, it's the only one actually in the gardens. It's the only big building that you'll notice that's in the, in the gardens there. It's because... The rest behind it is the herbarium where all the plants, you know, a million plants mm. are held in record. Mm. And just repeating what we were talking about earlier, uh, that pop-up garden will be taking place tomorrow in the Burke Street Mall. Um, if you're interested in the whole um, exploration of this, uh, this urban um, heat effect, you can look up Urban Heat Island Effect and you'll get a lot more information about, uh, about how cities do, uh, do um, uh, have such a hold hot... heat. Hot, yes, mm. really hold the heat and how um, there's a great movement to try and really green up our cities and, and totally reduce that heat to make our lives a lot more comfortable, a lot more relaxed and... Uh, and uh, as I say, the garden tomorrow will be trying to demonstrate all of that. So you can pop along. It will be there all day tomorrow and have a chat to, uh, to some of the people who've helped to construct that garden there, especially for the day. All right, it's time we went to uh, some of our listeners. We're going first to Robert, who's in Phillip Island. Good morning, Robert. Hello, how are you all? Thanks for waiting. That's all right. Gorgeous morning. Yes, lovely. Yeah, had a nice little bit of rain here Uh <laughs> Late yesterday afternoon. Okay. Yeah, good good shower. Excellent. Yeah, only went for a few minutes, but it was a beautiful bit of rain. We could do with some more, couldn't we, Robert? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be dry one. 
Yes. Starting to dry out a bit. The um, had a very good weekend. A week Wednesday went out rabbiting. Oh, got four or five nice rabbits. Right. And well and, done. Oh yes, and found some new burrows. So I came home well pleased. So I can give out a few rabbits to people that have been uh, waiting to have rabbit pie. How do you catch them, Robert? Ferret. Ferrets. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Get, yes, get the man. And... I wish you were lived closer to several, Robert. I yeah. have got so many rabbits on my place. Yeah, a lot of them, though, are cunning. They don't live in burrows now. They tend to live on the surface. Yes, ours in undergrowth. Up. Ours live yes. under the tram. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. After 100 years of getting chased, they've finally woke up that the best pl- place for them is not in the borough. Yes. I've got a huge borough that goes, part of which comes out in the middle of the garden, mm. right outside my front door. It's yeah, they're cheeky too. Not nice. Oh, yes. Beautiful looking <laughs> specimen though. But, so the ferret worked well and I found some new boroughs, so I'll, hopefully next uh, week I'll go out and hopefully get a few. And it's good exercise and you see a lot of hawks, you see a lot of wild ducks, you, you, you see a lot of... Uh, Nice green paddocks. Uh, uh, there a few months ago I was out and I had the pleasure. I was just finishing doing a borough and then a flock of robin redbreasts came. Oh, gorgeous. Landed about six feet away from me. There were four little cockbirds and two hens. Oh, how lovely. Oh, absolutely magnificent. Yeah. the um, I've been picking beautiful cauliflowers at the moment and ready to give one away this afternoon got some beautiful lettuce that are doing well, ready to pick. I like to keep 50% and give 50% away to other people. I think vegetable growing's for yourself and for others. You get a lot of pleasure, don't you, by giving vegetables? Oh, absolutely, Robert. Yes. Great philosophy. Yes. Pardon, look, I I was listening to Graham Ross Friday night. Uh, I don't like to argue with the professionals, but... He was telling people when they uh, cut the, their lawn, the green grass, mm. he was saying compost it. Oh, I, I never do. I, I put the green grass straight over the garden, over the vegetables and such. Yes. And I found, because I do a lot of mowing and I have a lot of grass, last year I had, say, a couple of bags of really fresh green grass so I planted, put them on the ground. Then I put some uh, things that I'd got from under a fruit tree, some mulch and that, put that on top, then a little bit of manure. Then I planted some chilies, and I got terrific growth from the chili. Mm. I think that the thing that's important is having put the manure there because what happens if you put green grass on your soil is you lose nitrogen out of the soil while it breaks down. So they say. Mm. Yeah, so they but see, say, you but put the manure there, so you're putting the, the nitrogen yes, back. So you're putting the, yes, exactly. So that, that compensates for it. Yes, and the heat, I, I had a suspicion the heat from the grass yes. Yes. Uh, helped to push push the chilies along. Yes, yes. yes. But, but that's just my bit. I, I really compost manure. I I personally put it straight on the, on the garden. Last, say, a month ago, I had some quite fresh um, horse manure. That a lot of people would say, oh, it's got to go in the compost for six months and like brain surgery. But I put it straight on around all the flowers and then we got some good rains here for... Uh, a week or two, so that rain went into the manure, in my opinion, and then took it, the, uh, 
down into the ground and the flowers were magnificent. Had I have put that uh, horse manure in the compost bin, I don't know whether I would have got as good a results as I got. I think there's different reasons for doing both, Robert. I mean, putting it straight on the garden certainly would uh, take the nutrients straight into the soil, but then, of course, you've got the problem with horse manure with weeds because that just brings in an incredible amount of weeds. And putting it in the compost first just gives it a bit of a chance to break down a bit more and break down some of those weeds. And you can um, burn your more sensitive plants. You can plant. yeah, burn the roots so, if I mean, you're not careful. It, it sounds like you put on things a little bit at a time, which really is the key, you know, especially yeah, if you're yeah. going to be putting things Spread on straight. Like that. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, sometimes I, I do scratch my head and wonder, are some of our theories traditional rather than fact at times? That's just my opinion. My wife bought some peas uh, a few uh, couple of months ago, punnets of peas. She bought them home. They were the cheaper punnet peas. They weren't in the, the dearer seedling. And I thought to myself, I'd look, darling, I don't want to upset you, but I'll plant them. But they won't do much good. They're the cheap variety, plus peas from seedlings don't do much good. Well, they're magnificent bushes. <laughs> Excellent. So I, I don't know. I, I wonder about my theory. I always buy the dearest uh, plants. It's a, a bit, bit like wine. It's not always the dearest that tastes the best. No, no. But, uh, yeah, good to talk to you all, but I suppose everybody's got their... At the moment, I've got some uh, flocks to go in, managed to grow some flocks from seed, mm-hmm. got some uh, nice petunia seed to go in, Virginia stock, I grow a lot of that. Well, that has to be good. <laughs> good. So ready ready for the summer planting and ready to put the dahlias in and got got some lovely dahlias, I'll give some away too. So I'm ready, ready to get going into the new phase for the summer flowers. Good on you, Robert. Okay then, bye-bye. Nice bye-bye. See ya. It's, a, it's an in- interesting subject that Robert brings up, um, um, Pam, because the research that they're carrying out at the, at the moment, they're, they're really saying that microbes and soil microbes are a moving target and there's microbes that, that, that survive at different levels in the soil and there's different microbes that happen with different manures at a particular time. And, and that's the elusiveness. Yep. Yes, that's the elusiveness of, of carbon and the research that they've been carrying out with carbon. And um, to, to be able to harness a particular varieties of microbes and then move off into others to make them useful as well is apparently the real challenge of, of research. Mm. And um, things that can happen in the garden with, with light layers of manure can be quite beneficial. Mm. And then what is existing in a compost heap, those microbes are quite different to what, it, to what can be in the garden. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. And I think, I mean, as Robert was saying, he does do a little bit quite often, doesn't he? Yes. You know, he seems mm. to be constantly doing things in the garden. And, mm. you know, as that Japanese, I think, proverb is, you know, it's the gardener's footsteps that are the best fertiliser in the garden, mm. you know, because he's out there often, he's doing a little bit at a time, so he's mm-hmm. creating that fantastic sort of microbial action in the mm. soil, mm. Um, rather than you know, once a year coming and dumping you know, something mm. on and, and expecting it to work pretty mm. quickly, but mm. yeah, he's out there doing it all the time. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. If you'd like to uh, join us and ask a gardening question, we'd love to hear from you. 
the number 94190155. We have Virginia Haywood, Graham Sargent and AB Bishop in the studio. So do give us a call 94190155. We'll go next to Hugh in the Arrow Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Tanner, good morning. Victoria, good morning. I, I have a few things on my plate. I make them very short because before you press the dump button. Okay. <laughs> well, the first one I just want to throw open to the panel if they wish to answer. Yesterday I went visiting and there was a debate on cooking rice. And somebody says you can't warm up cooked rice because that's a health hazard. And uh, that's it's rather a surprise to me because I do that quite frequently. And the other thing is um, I don't own a TV set. I don't want one. And I saw, uh, I was forced to see the TV show Gardening Australia. And I saw Homo, Homo Neanderthal conducting it. And it was just scratching the bottom of the barrel. That was absolutely appalling. It's just horrible. Well, you probably get a lot done, Hugh, if you don't own a television. Well, I tell you what, I'm not missing anything from what I saw in the few hours I was there. Now my with the rice, point, Hugh, pardon? with the rice, the yeah. problem with rice is it must be very quickly kept cold. And the reason that they say it's dangerous is because, and I don't understand the physics of this, but it has a very, very large surface area. Therefore, it is more prone to become um, contaminated than other things. It's the large surface area of the rice and any um, teacher at a school who does that sort of thing will say rice is one of the, one of the risk factors for, getting, um, for eating food that has been infected. I've never heard that. It's, it's, abs- yeah. it's true. It, it, one of my best friends teaches um, food I, technology I, I, and she always, with me, she's always saying get that in the fridge if you're going to reuse it. Get it in the fridge. Now, and what about reheating from, it? From well, what it's, I have it, heard yesterday, sorry to butt in, I, I don't want to press some, somebody to press the dump button. I guess very quickly, um, um, I'm, I'm an offender because I always cook rice for two meals because it's so hard to judge, you know, what I need for a single person. And um, uh, uh, anyway, thanks for helping me with that one. And the other one uh, is now to Dr. Dr. Graham about my roses. Now, yes, what you. has happened, Dr. Graham? Yes. Um, we had hot days and, and lots and lots of wind. We had gales up to 100 kilometers per hour, and one, one um, label of um, standard, seven-foot standard sea foam blew away. So out came my, my, my diary, and I looked it up when I purchased it to replace the label. And then I read on the lab, label something I, that didn't occur to me before. It says standard rose climbing sea foam. Now, I just repeat it. I purchased a seven-foot standard. Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, they grafted or budded a sea foam rose. Now, is that climbing just a misspelling in my diary, or do they really... Um, do that sort of thing, putting a climber on top of a standard? That's correct, they do. That, they do? Yes, it, yes, they do. And they picked on sea foam because it, it's uh, very good for, as a weeper. It weeps as, 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 a, as, a, as a weeping standard. 
So it is not a misspelling no. in my diary. No, no, it's it, that. That's correct. It is a climber. Yeah. Okay. Now, Dr. Graham, more more on iceberg. Yes. I bought actually four amongst others, um, and. Iceberg, in my opinion, is a, comes from the House of Courts. Am I correct? That's correct. Now I understand iceberg is iceberg. Yes. Now in the in that collection I purchased on the die, it also says iceberg burgundy. Yes. Now iceberg is white. Yes. Burgundy is not white. Huh. Now why why do they call it iceberg burgundy? Well, they because call, it's burgundy. Yes. In they, color. They call it call it. It should be called Burgundy Iceberg, and it's it's actually a sport of the white iceberg. In, in other words, it's a fluke of nature. Ah, okay. yes. Okay, it's a sport. Yes. And the other one is Iceberg Europeana. Yes. What is that all about? I don't know of an Iceberg Europeana. Europeana is a, is a, a red um, Floribunda rose. And um, it sounds to me as though um, someone has, has incorrectly labelled. I don't think that's a member of the iceberg family. No, it's though. not it's at all. Not. No, no. So that no, one's Europe, been incorrectly labelled. Europa is a completely other different rose. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, it, I stood there and I just and I just was dumbfounded at climbing sea foam because. Um, how do you prune your climbing seafoam? Uh, I never ever had one before. I just purchased that one. Well, what you need to do is just let it grow so that There's it can weep. Okay, I do that. And then somebody said um, in the panel this morning when I was listening about the appalling Yarra Ranges. I can only agree with you. The fights I'm having with the, with Yarra Ranges Council, it is just yeah. it is the only. Shire or city, call it what you like, I know, that has a garden department. I, I, I've been in many cities, whether in France, in, 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 in Holland, in, in, in Germany, in Austria. There is no city that doesn't have a garden department. And so on and so forth. I cannot understand how a shire in a, how, how a community in a semi-rural... They, they make it a rule it has to be native. Now, I'm not against native, but to make a rule it has to be native, it is just... So whoever comes said something uh, appalling, thing, I can only say I agree. And apart from that panel, I wish you a lovely day. Okay, thank you. Bye. 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 We are running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. So if you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Graham, you've brought something in. Yes, Pam. I've got um, eco oil in uh, today. And I know I've spoken this, about this before at the, the, um, at the 3CR. Um, and my reason for bringing this in this morning, of course, people are, are, are troubled at, the, at this time with aphids and thrip. Oh, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And, of course, you haven't got aphids and thrip because you're a bad gardener, okay? Get that <laughs> into your mind. The aphids and thrip come from the pasture areas. Now, they've even picked up thrip that have come from New Zealand, 
Good heavens. And they travel in the clouds. Like the fig wasp. Like yes. the fig wasp. There you are. And um, so you're not a bad gardener because you have these critters in your garden. It's just that they come off the grass and pastures. So what has been developed, of course, is eco-oil, and it's an Australian-invented product. And of all things, it's made from Australian natives, melaleuca, eucalyptus, and canola. And I believe it's one of the greatest inventions that's happened in the horticultural world for some time. And it's been on the market now for over 30 years. Oh, yes, it has. Yes. And it'll deal with, um, amongst many things, uh, scale, two-spotted mite, aphids, whitefly and citrus leaf miner, and other sap-sucking insects. Um, and But the thing to remember when using it is that if it's over... Uh, 28 degrees on the day, don't use it because it can burn. Mm. Now, you can you can include eco-oil in with your liquid seaweed if you use liquid seaweed or um, uh, products like AminoGrow. It can be incorporated into that when you're, when you're um, feeding especially your roses and other plants. And it's very safe to use on vegetables. You can eat vegetables straight away after you've Yes, there's no withholding product. period at no all. No withholding. Yes. But do remember if it is over... 28 degrees on the day, don't use it. Graham, okay? with your roses, at what pest level would you then use a product to, to diminish the pests? Well, that's a, that's a really good question because what we do in the nursery, we keep uh, a, a, a daily watch on what good insects are around the nursery, yep. especially ladybirds. Yep. They're, mm. they're an amazing critter and... What happens with the ladybirds especially is that they have to build up sufficient numbers to get in and control um, aphids and thrip, okay? And they'll so, only move in when there are a particular amount yes. of the pests, won't they've they? Got, they've yeah. got to have they enough. They need that, that food source. Yeah, got, got, to, got to have enough feed for their, yep. their, their babies. Um, so early in the season we'll use eco-oil, but then we really ease back because we want those critters to take over. Yep. And we do also grow in the nursery uh, plants that, um, other plants other than roses to encourage these these um, good predator insects. Like the lacewings. Yes. Yeah, and, and yeah. they like the um, the corianders and, mm-hmm. and carrot flowers, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and we grow cosmos mm-hmm. and calendula. Yep. We have some of those pots in amongst the roses anyway. And, um, and then, of course, we let the fowls out and they'll pick up bugs and insects too. And one of the, one of the real gauges of, of um, aphids is kale. And they will attack the kale before they'll go for the for the roses. So, I find my um, red lettuces, they go for those as mm-hmm, well in a big mm-hmm. way. I've got a lot of it on my red lettuce and a little bit. I've been going around squashing the ones on my roses. Mm. I don't oh, like... you have the aphids on the red lettuce. Ah, mm. oh, that's interesting because mm. I, what I found with the red lettuce is um, it, it doesn't get the caterpillars on it, whereas the other lettuces do. Mm. So for me, that was fantastic. Like, yes, grow more well, red I've lettuce. I've got to wash mine really thoroughly now because they've got so many aphids on them, but mm. I'd rather the aphids were there because I could just wash, wash them, them off, off and eat them. Yeah. Mm. And they're in the roses because I really don't like to spray. I, I can't see that if I'm spraying, mm. I'm not going to kill the beneficials. Mm. I just don't. And also, I mean, the little birds get in there as well. Yes. Yeah, providing it's providing feed for them as well, mm. and we um, kick, pick kale and put it in with the fowls in the in the pen, and that's the first thing they'll go for. They like that protein that comes from from the aphids that's on the kale itself. But we use the kale as an in, indicator insect, and we find that it's usually the first plant that ever gets aphids on it. I have in, great in trouble growing kale. Yes. Yes, those brown things that 
bury into my garden, eat the kale very quickly when it's small. Those rabbits. Mm. Yes. So I have to, you know, I have to take a lot of effort to grow it. Mm-hmm. And I'm more and more planting things that can just exist. Mm. I, I'm sick to death of fighting with my rabbits. Because <laughs> so they win. <laughs> Graeme, do you specifically grow plants for, for companion planting or yes. are, are, you do? Yes, we do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what what are the ones that you find are best for repelling? Oh, calendula is brilliant. Yeah, mm. absolutely brilliant. And the great thing about calendula is you can get flowers on calendula in, in the winter. Yes, and, and in a, and in a range of colours if yes. you're actually colour conscious in your mm-hmm. garden. Because mm. not everyone wants orange in every bit of their garden. No, well, well there's some uh, yellows mm. in calendula and and, mm. and some really lovely mm. shaped um, flowers that have come on the market in in that world. Mm. And cosmos is also very good. And, um, and a great and, range of colours. Yes, a good range of colours. Um, with the calendula uh, and the cosmos, get it growing uh, sort of mid-autumn. And now we've got a colder climate because we've had a probably nearly, nearly 150 frosts this year. Um, so we get things up and going. And, of course, the other thing is pansies. Pansies are great. And you'll get pansies now that'll flower all the way through the winter when you're looking for colour. I have a cockatoo that's very fond of pansies. Mm-hmm. Which is also, I decided that a, a nice big um, thing of pansies on my outside table would be lovely. Mm. And I just watched the cockatoo sit on the table, pull them out, throw them down, pull them out, throw them down. It doesn't eat them. I call them the teenagers of the bush. Absolutely. <laughs> just there to, ma- to make noise and wreak havoc. Yeah, but, that, you know, with the companion planting, it's interesting because this year I, I mean, every, every season I've got a whole lot of stuff going on in the glass house and often I have a problem with whitefly. This year I've put in nasturtiums and they have gone crazy. They've climbed all over the place. The, the glass house looks incredible and no whitefly. So I'm just wondering if, yes. you know, they are, I mean, because traditionally they have been used as a companion planter. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Under apples, I think it is. Yes. Um, so I'm just wondering if they are actually doing a good job in repelling the whitefly. I'm sure they are. And I've left them go. I mean, I normally won't grow them in my in the garden beds close they to the house crazy, because don't they, they go crazy. Yeah. But it is actually hiding the big rabbit hole in the middle of one of my beds. Oh, <laughs> that, the rabbits would like that. They're very, <laughs> they, a very eat, they eat their way through it. Ornamental entrance to their <laughs> to their burrows. Yes. Oh, great. Well, we should go to Bill in Lilydale. Good morning, Bill. Uh, good morning, uh, <laughs> panel. Uh, <clears throat> I would agree whole, wholeheartedly with uh, previous comments concerning this shire of Lilydale, a shire of Yarra Ranges. I have found them totally useful, useless. I think ever since the amalgamation, mm-hmm. this is when they were no longer representative of the, of the interests of the people. They were more interested in the acquisitions of properties and the sort of development, you know, looking after this sort of what you might call, might call the business sector or the real estate end of the sort of business. And uh, I've never found them very... I mean, I, I, I'm in this present situation where I, they, they have actually intruded. Or I've not been down to, down to have a look to see what they've done, but with that, they allowed, allowed the development uh, on the golf course I've now, I've now received a letter. Actually, uh, they were more or less trying to buy off part of my property. Now, this is what this is a. I don't know. What, I don't know what kind of planning sort of uh, is, is allowed. Actually, with this shire, it seems that anything is allowed. Uh, 
and I've, I've found that over the years, and I, and I've found them. I, I don't even bother. What's that? What's the shit? Because I no longer, I, I don't ever expect anything. I and think I've that's probably the time, Bill, where you should be um, going down and having a chat with them, because the more voices there are, well, uh, the found, more likely I've they are to do something. Uh, I've never found them very uh, agreeable to any sort of... They're more or less... Uh, they're always on the defence. They're always... Uh, they put forth their, the point of view that they want to put forth is what actually sort of uh, enhances uh, their well-being as regards to possibly... Uh, money's coming in, but I've never, I've never found them. I had an interesting um, run-in with the council, Bill, where we had a development in our street, and my street is a very little street, it's a dead-end street, and it's got a shocking entrance off the main road, so it's quite a dangerous street. And the officers of the council allowed a massive development at the end of our street in one of the wineries, and we went to council, to full council, and argued the toss, and actually the councillors came in on our side. So I think often it is worth contacting your councillor rather than the officers. What what might be your first name? What, what what's your Christian name? I, I Virginia. Virginia. Mm. Well, Virginia. I I know that the the people here that many of the older the older residents they actually fought they fought really they put in submissions. Oh, there was an enormous amount of submissions, and uh, seemingly this uh, the council managed to to achieve a sort of uh, uh, a meeting. Rather than the usual venues where they used to hold them, uh, the council offices, or, or uh, there used to be another one up uh, up the hill at the south Mount Lilydale, uh, no, there's convent. Mm. Uh, suddenly, it was changed dramatically from I got a telephone call that this meeting was going to be held away at Murrowbath, and many of the, the people who were here they were too old and and. Uh, Ended up the and, and Bill, when you think about it, the Shire extends almost to Borbor. It's such a, a one of the mm. problems with this council is it is just so large. So, Bill, well, you, that, you, that, you had a query about weeds. Was that in regards yeah, well, well, to the, the problem, Yarra Shire? I, I, I did have a problem with weeds. Uh, the problem with the weeds are uh, that they have been growing, but I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a set, I am pretty much an elderly citizen, and so therefore, I mean. I didn't know whether to go around poisoning them or either using Roundup or Glyphosate or some other uh, What sort killer. of weeds are you talking about, Bill? Oh, well, I'm talking about, uh, well, there's dandelion and there's all kinds of different weeds. <laughs> they've just actually, they've taken over, actually. But I, I, generally, I, I know that I will get round to so I'll take, I'll... I'll just uh, sometime I'll go down and and spray them. I do have the spray. But yes, I don't but like you want to be very careful with the spray that it's a very very still day. And a lot of them, you know, will just you can dig out. That's yeah. always something to think about. Well, I have with I I managed to get rid of all my wandering dew by sitting down. Yeah, well, with they're a very, the wandering dew is very difficult to eradicate. It is, but it's amazing how easy it is actually just to put it, pull it out. Yes. And my concern was to get it away from the dogs because so many of them are allergic to it. That, that, uh, I know that only too well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Bill. Well, thank you so much for your call. We really should move on because we have other people okay, waiting. Okay, then. Thank you. Good on you. Thanks, Bye. Bill. Bye-bye.
You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show, 8.55 on the AM band. Uh, this morning in the studio we have Virginia Haywood, who's a guide at the uh, Royal Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. We have Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbernane. And we also have A.B. Bishop, who uh, can speak about all things Australian natives in the plant world. Uh, so do give us a call. We're running through until 9.15, uh, the number 94190155. We're going next to our good friend Pam in Kyneton. Good morning, Pam. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's interesting listening to you talking about all those bugs and things. You know, I have hardly have any bugs up here. You I have nice reckon, cold winters, Pam. I don't reckon any self-respecting bug would ever come to this freezing. <laughs> <laughs> and in and in Melbourne, my broccoli, I used to have to wash it and wash it to get all of those little, mm. what, yes. you know, what gets into the broccoli. But up here, I no, forget it. You just bring it in, wash it and eat it. Wonderful. <laughs> There's got to be some benefits, doesn't there? Absolutely. I wanted to just tell Graham um, a while ago at my daughter's house we had this great big huge massive old rose with trunks on it like almost like a tree trunk and I rang you and this was going back a few years now and I asked you how to manage it because we needed to do something with it and you told me to just do it slowly and take my time, and and, a ho- and I just wanted to tell you, I've done what you said, and that rose is just looking wonderful, oh. and we've got no idea what it is. It's just a common old pink rose that flowers all the time, and I didn't... This year we took out the last of the really old wood. Um, I had one more piece left, I think it was, maybe two, and then, but I still didn't prune it really hard. I didn't prune the rest of the new growth. And then next year, I'll just kind of prune the, that lot of the new growth. So I just wanted to ring and tell you my success story. Well Good done. You, Great. And Graham, <clears throat> with your chalks, do you grow particular, um, well, I won't say weeds, <clears throat> do you grow particular things for the chooks, like in in your veg? You have a vegetable garden, yes. don't you? Yes. In your vegetable garden. Yes, I grow kale, silver beet, um, and and I also grow broccoli, uh-huh. and I also grow oats, uh-huh. and that's a green manure. And I, I, I grow vetch as well, which is also a green manure. Vetch. So, and that's that's fed to them pretty much daily. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, and I, what I find with the oats, if you can give that to them uh, fairly young, they just love the beautiful green shoots. And then I'll pull out things like chickweed and yeah. other weeds out of the garden and feed that to them as well. And I notice that there's sometimes when they really hop into it, mm. and other times, well, you know, that's okay. Mm. Um, mm. So they're very astute at what they really need within their own with their own in, in within their own system yes I, I know they like chickweed and things like that i mm-hmm. i give mine a lot of that but and mine free range and get into most things they get mm-hmm. out onto the paddock next door now 
to have a wonderful time. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I just have to keep my eye on them that they don't go too far. We do have foxes around exactly, here. Exactly, and the yeah. foxes will come in the middle of the day and they just... They will come, that's mm. right, I've, I've seen them. But, they've um, yeah, they've been so watching you. Foxes go on, on around, you know, each, each day and each night, and they'll check out different yes. places. Yes, and fortunately I've made my pens, because I go down to the river... My, my chook pens are up close to the house mm-hmm. and I think that's why I can manage them as mm. well as, you know, mm. I've, I've only ever lost one and I'm not convinced that was a fox. I, I even think it was a cat, but anyway. Mm. All right, that was all I wanted to say. Very interesting morning talk. Okay. Once again. Thanks, thanks Graham, for all oh. your advice. It's very helpful. Okay, thanks, Pam. Okay, see you later. Bye. Bye. Uh, we're going next to uh, Jim, who's out in Sunshine. Morning, Jim. It's Ken, I think. Oh, right. Oh, it's, it's our I Ken just... from Sunshine. Hello, Ken. <laughs> how Hello. are you? I just want to say how important it is to fight for green space, how important it is to stand up to your council, how important it is to organise around your area. And it, don't say people are too old. I've, and it's not just me, it's the whole neighbourhood, We've marched into council, 400 of us. Yes. We've been fined, I've been fined about three times, and I've let it go to court, and we've won. Yes, it's so, been wonderful. You're so a... that's what you've got to do. And, I mean, old people, young people, I, I, my area has um, <clears throat> just started to become uh, young again, mm. and I've let them take over the groups, and I just sit in the background and... Um, I try not to interfere. Sometimes I do, and I, I try not to be a bit of a know-all, but um, and let, I mean, if, but you've had a magnificent success. It's really, oh, really have special. We mm. Have we what? And you'll know all about it, and we want all you lovely people out. I think the trick is, Ken, you, you need to know. So yes, I was just going to say, you need to know what your fight is, don't you? I mean, you I can't just go randomly to the council look and moan. Don't when you fight a fight. Look outside the square. Mm. Yes. Don't look inside the square. Look out. Look at everything. Mm. And before we have a fight, we know what we're going to do before we have the fight. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Organise well prepared. And stand up. Yes. Anyway, I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> okay. It's still, it's a wonderful gardening program, whether I ring up or not. I listen every weekend, and it's. Um, I'm a Unitarian, and uh, I. <coughs> I go there in the afternoon, but my first church is you people. <laughs> thank you very nice much. To hear. Thanks, Ken. Good on you. Okay. Now, we did have a query on the outside line. Uh, someone wanted to know where Phil Vaughan's nursery is. Uh, I hope they've got paper and pencil. It's at 919 Bannockburn Shelford Road in Teesdale. I'll give that again, 919 Bannockburn Shelford Road in Teesdale. He's open 10 till 4, Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays. And if you'd like his uh, phone contact, 0423-904-470. I'll give that again, 0423-904-470. He's moved back to the Grampians, and that is actually his daughter's who is running the nursery there. Oh, okay. And this, if you're interested in his stuff, do go to oh, the showgrounds today yeah. because he's got a magnificent collection there. Excellent. 
Okay, let's go next to Ross, who's out in Bemaris. Good morning, Ross. Oh, yes, good morning. I just wonder if you can help me. I've got uh, some young uh, olive trees, and uh, they have plenty of flowers, but they don't convert them into fruit. What What's missing, do you think? Mm. Pollinator would seem yes. unlikely. Do you have bees, etc.? Oh, yes, I've got, uh, I've got some lavender plants, and I've got a lot of bees there. And I give them some water as well, and the bees swim inside the water a bit too. Mm, Ross, it's, it's a strange one, but I mean, anything to do with flowering and fruit, you want to um, incorporate a bit of potash. Potash. Yeah, so I mean, that's probably the mm, first. That'll encourage fruit. more flowering. That's right, yes. and, and it really does um, help the quality of, uh, of the fruits and flowers. What type of potash? Potassium sulfate, that type of thing. Water from bananas. Put banana skins in water and you get your potash and you can just water that around your plants. Well, if you have access to a fire, if you've had a, a wood barbecue yes. or something, and any of that ash, just a bit of a sprinkling of it. Uh, and quickly, another thing, why can't you use uh, grass clippings as mulch? The only problem with it is that it does take the nitrogen out of the soil to break down the green clippings. How, so, how, how does it do that? Well, that's just part of the process of how clippings break down. So if you're going to put green clippings on, you need to add blood and bone or something like that so that you're putting extra nitrogen into the area. And, but the, and then they're fine to use. Is the nitrogen, what form is it in the, in the soil? If it's, if it's nitrogen, if it's a nitrate, the clippings cannot take it out. But that's what the clipping, that, for the clippings to break down, one of the things they need is nitrogen. One of the things that the process needs is nitrogen. So it takes nitrogen that otherwise would go to the plants. But there's nitrogen in the air as well. well yes, which is why if you put pea straw around your plant, yeah. the pea straw can actually take the nitrogen out of the air and put it into the ground. Any pea, pea, pea um, family. family can do that. So, but, but don't you think it would be a bit of a myth? Can you use clippings to, as a mouse because it's... There's no, it, it's the it, other the other problem, can, Ross, with the clippings is especially if you put them on too thickly, they mat down and they prevent any rain from actually getting to the soil. So they can, you know, they they can create this really sort of um, hydrophobic environment around around your root systems. Yeah, but at the same time, they prevent any evaporation, though. That's, yeah, that's they. What you want to do. Yeah, but you 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 want that balance, you know. You want to be able to um, get water to the soil. Um, so yes, they would prevent evaporation, but they wouldn't prevent transpiration and you know the evaporation from the plant leaves themselves. So I mean, you, you'd put them on thinly, or you'd compost them first and mix them in with other with other matter that's you know slightly bigger and coarser. I, I recommend that you put them on thinly if you want to use them as a mulch. And I, I've done it. I've used it that in that fashion, and haven't had any detrimental effect to the plant. I agree with and you. Pa- yeah, just just a you. thin layer, but okay. not a, thick. A thin layer there. Yeah. And, and just keep putting thin layers on it. Yes. And yes. let's hope, Ross, that somebody might ring in who knows more about olive fertilisation than we do. But you know what? With a suggestion for you. My background is a chemist. Because what happens is when you say you remove nitrogen, where is it, how do you remove this nitrogen? Unless there's a mechanism there, you can convince me that that's what happens. Hmm. But I think it would be a bit of a myth. There's no, a, it's, a, not, it's not a myth. It's a huge industry out there selling this mulch thing, which is similar. No, but that mulch, the, the mulch that you buy is it's not dry. green. It's dry. Yeah, it's yeah. not green. It's dry. So the process has, it's gone through part of that process. Okay. 
But I think the gentleman probably put his finger on it. Just a thin liar continuously yeah. to do the trick. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for your help. Okay. You. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Uh, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running for another 15 minutes. We do have to finish up at 9.15. But if you'd like to uh, jump on the phone quickly uh, and give us a call, the number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We're going next to uh, Denise, who's in Ballarat. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Um I'm having trouble. We uh, removed cedars from our front yard about two years ago. We dug in um, mulch and compost and left it sit for 12 months and have planted um, a a lot of... It's all natives. But in the areas where the uh, cedars were, they've just started to die off. And so we've lost about probably six or seven. So they've grown really healthily for 12 months and then just turn their toes up. Um, I think, Denise, um, the cedars can create a really acidic environment. Yep. And so what's happened, your plants have gone in and they may still have had potting mix around them, so they would have just been growing, you know, in that same environment. Then the roots have grown out into the acidic environment a bit more and that's something that they don't like. Yep. Um, Any ideas what I could try? I've, I've put dolomite on the soil. But I wasn't sure if that was the right thing to do. Well, it might help. I think one of the things you should do is get the soil tested and then plant the right... I mean, you know, you have plants that like acidic soil, so you need to be planting those. Yeah. Um, Um, I I, I, I tested just with a home kit, and I'm not sure how accurate they are, and it was just on the high side of acidic. The high side? Well, you know, if if you find that kind of neutral point, it was just beyond that... So it was below the neutral point or um, above it? I'm, I'm just looking at the guide. It was around 5.5. Yeah, that's quite acidic. Yeah. Now some, I mean, some plants, including some native plants, prefer a neutral or even, may, I mean, broccoli actually likes an alkaline soil. Yeah. And some plants like camellias really like an acid soil. So I would be actually doing a bit of research and making sure you plant um, acid-loving acid-loving plants in there. Yeah. Have, have all the ones that you put in died, Denise? Yeah, oh, well, that are right on the spots, you know, where I think, you know, from memory, where the cedars actually were. Um, yeah, so... And a lot of the of, of that family are known to... A lot, a lot of pine trees and mm. in that family are known to produce things in the soil to discourage yeah. other plants to grow. Okay. Which is why you you know, you have certain plants that do manage to grow under pine trees, say like clivias. Yeah. But a lot of other plants just and wandering dew seems to be able to do very well under Yeah, a pine I mean tree. we really want to just to stick to natives, so I'm sort of yeah, well I'm not suggesting you plant wandering dew. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no but I think what you're going to have to do and um I would possibly if you've got a good native plant nursery around, go and talk to them about the pH and whether they think that might be the problem. Yep. I, I don't know how practical it would be, Denise. I'm not sure how big the area is, but, you know, you could dig it over really well. I mean, what's your soil like? Oh, it's not bad. It's a little bit heavy, but yep. as I said, we, oh, we did a lot of work before we started. So it's, you know, it's full of worms and 
looks okay, yeah. but obviously something's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does. It will take a while for that acidity. If you've got to, the worms, you, you, yes, yeah. you're on the way. I mean, and yeah. you could um, apply some of Graham's magical um, green compost min- tea, green manure mm. tea. That that would always Build up be the beneficial. Soil microbes. Yeah, but if you do put even put dolomite lime on, it takes a while for dolomite lime to That's work right. in. Yeah. It's, a, it's Sorry, not a magic I'm, thing. Because I'm in Ballarat, I don't hear your show, so I'm not sure what the magic tea is. All right, you can mix up a brew. Yeah. Um, you can use weeds, even yeah. some of your vegetables out of the garden, chop them up and put them in a hessian bag yeah. and, and tie some bale of twine around the, the top of the bag and put them into a, a drum of water. Okay. And, 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 you know, dip it up and down every week or so, put some liquid seaweed in with it, and that then will can be put on the garden to, to enhance the uh, microbe uh, work in the, um, in the soil where you've had the cedars Okay. And get get that um, actually working. And maybe a green manure as as those plants are dying. Maybe mm. if you put a green manure in for a mm. couple of months, just to try and balance the soil up a bit further. Yeah. All right. Even a green manure, say something like oats or even wheat. Well, yep. no, she wants to be careful. She doesn't get something that seeds though. Or, yeah. or yes, yeah, so or just make sure you take I it. I bought a green manure from a well-known yes. good supplier, so maybe that's... Yeah, yeah try that's, that. Yeah, good yep. way to go. And All ring right. us back. Fabulous. Thanks for your help. Okay. Bye. 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 All right, next up we have Sue in Ringwood. Good morning, Sue. Hi. Hi. I'd really like you to answer a question for me, please. Um, I'm growing spuds for the first time. I've put them into a big pot. Um, when the green leaf came up, I was told to put dirt on top of it. Yeah. I did that. Um, I've done that once. The green leaves have shot through again. Do I put more soil on Yes, top you keep and- building your soil up. So that I cover the green leaves. Yep, yep. How, oh, how right. tall is your pot? Oh, it's a big black plastic pot. It's probably a foot and a half high. Okay, well, it's possibly not real. I mean, often people grow them in bags, potatoes in bags, and then they keep getting higher and higher, and you just shove more soil on top as the green leaves um, protrude. The whole idea is to give you um, a lot of root area, which obviously is where your potatoes are going to be forming from. So you want to encourage as many roots as you can. And in in a shorter pot, you're not going to be able to have that many potatoes, really. Should I take them out of the pot? Is it too late to do that? No, it wouldn't be too late. And you, what do you think, Pam? And put it in a... You can even get those potato sacks, can't you? Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, how long have Could they I been in the, for? So uh, I only put them in about three weeks ago. Could I put them into a big dustbin? Yes. Yes. As long as it's got drainage. Give it drainage, drill some holes in the base. Yeah, and, sure. That would and be don't, perfect. And don't forget to take the rubbish out first. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next thing I do is do I fertilise it and how much do I water it? Please. Um, I'd just give it a good good cow manure. Okay, and how much do I water it, please? When it's when it needs watering. Yeah, just okay. just keep an eye on the leaves, and if they if they're looking a bit sad, then um, give them water. a bit of water. Yeah, really, I mean, obviously, if they're in a plastic uh, bin, they're going, uh, to get they're going to get very hot. So you do need to keep the water up to them a bit. Okay, you've been really helpful. Thank you. Very okay, much. so just just keep on mounding that soil up. Okay, then. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. And uh, next up we have Nevin, Neville sorry, out in Somerville. Good morning, Neville. Neville, are you there? Uh, no, we might have to uh, leave Neville. And we'll go to George, who's out in Nunawading. George. Oh, good morning. Good uh, morning. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to ask about um, what to do um, about a uh, an orange tree that I, I have, and it's been been a bit neglected in the past. But I've, it, it used to produce a lot of big oranges. It's got um, it's got a lot of flowers on it at present, and, I, and I'm trying to revive it and look after it. And uh, I, I wanted to ask, um, what um, it's got a lot of um, flowers on it at present and uh, is is now the time to add fertiliser or, or compost? Yes, definitely. Yes. Usually for citrus twice a year, spring and autumn, so now would be a perfect time. And also a bit of seaweed if it's been a bit neglected. Yeah, I've been And adding... if it's got lots and lots of flowers, think about maybe taking a few off so that you don't get small fruit, you get bigger fruit. Well, you can do that once the fruit have started to, to appear form. and then just thin out your fruit a little bit. Mm. Mm. And the other thing, uh, Neville, uh, sorry, George, um, citrus need a lot of water. They're heavy drinkers. So, I mean, especially if yours has been neglected a bit, you know, for spring and into summer, I'd be, you know, giving it um, a, a really good watering a few times a week. Yeah, I have been adding um, sea salt. Good. Right. Yep, that's fine. Putting a drench of sea salt on. And, uh, Great. Um, but... What, what is the difference between compost and fertiliser? Is compost a fertiliser or not? Yes. A good compost but is a fertiliser. Seaweed is not a fertiliser. Seaweed is a tonic hmm. um, and you can buy fertilisers or you can u- make your own fertiliser in compost. But if you use compost, it'll give you good, strong, sturdy growth. Mm. Whereas if you use most fertilisers with a fair bit of nitrogen in them, they'll push the growth and make it soft. And that that in 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 itself will attract insects and and other conditions. Mm. So you're better off compost using, is the say, best liquid, way to go. Liquid seaweed and compost. Mm. But if if the uh, orange tree's been neglected for a while, I'd go with a good citrus fertilizer yes. this time around. Mm. Okay. Well, how, how much do you add? And whatever it says, it, it'll give you the, the directions on the packet. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Thank you, Nab. Okay then. Okay. Bye. 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 Now, Virginia, we do need, before we uh, the program winds up, we do need to re-mention um, the, uh, the special meetings that are being run, information sessions for anyone who's interested in volunteering uh, at the Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria. We've had a message here to say that um, it's not just general no. volunteers but also well, for no, the, the children's the, garden. The general, there's volunteers who guide. There's volunteers that are actually are ambassadors for the garden and then there are volunteers in the children's garden. So all three of these will be being covered. You can be in two groups or you can just be in one group. Okay. And because I'm a guide, I tend to be a bit guide-centric. But there's no reason not to be either an ambassador or somebody in the children's garden. So what do the ambassadors actually do, Virginia? We have a, a, a spot where we have a... a, a place to sit with an an information booth really and the ambassadors um, service that people come up they ask where they can go what things are they and they're information givers in that space okay excellent well I'll give out the details of those two information sessions again if you're at all interested or think you might be interested it would be well worth going along to one of these information sessions you'll be able to talk to some of the uh, volunteers there um so the first one is tomorrow, Monday the 12th of October. It's taking place at 1.30 in the afternoon. It's being held in the Mueller Hall there on Birdwood Avenue. 
And the second one is on Tuesday, the 20th of October. That's being held at 6 p.m. again in the Mueller Hall. So uh, you enter from Birdwood Avenue there. It's right next to F Gate at the Botanic Gardens. All right, we've uh, nearly run out of time. We, uh, our caller that we lost, Neville, had uh, wanted to tell everyone that Persicaria is now available from diggers. It's interesting that I've just had an open garden. I must have had close to 300 people through, and the one plant that I dug out bits of and gave away was the Persicaria. People kept asking, what's that, what's that? And I, I ended up just leaving the spade by it so that I could <laughs> dig another bit out. It's very kind of you, And send, send it home with people. <laughs> and I hope they brought plants to give you to replace them. Not a one. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> now, I must uh, give you all a quick reminder. The uh, very special uh, horticultural and gardening festival is on for the last day today down at Melbourne Showgrounds. It opens at 10 o'clock this morning. A lot of the uh, 3CR Gardening Show team are down there. Um, Stephen Ryan is there. He'll be giving lots of talks as well as having his own um, his own uh, display there. Virginia, you're heading down there for the Plants Trust uh, stall. Uh, Simon Rickard is going to be there giving talks. Angus Stewart is there. And, um, of course, Diana Sargent will be there also giving talks on how to grow roses organically. So lots going on. As I say, it's the last day today. So do – this is the first year that for for many, many years Melbourne had no spring gardening show. So if you haven't been along today, do go along because um, we'd like to encourage a spring gardening show to be an annual event here in Melbourne. We need one. Not just not just Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, which of course is an autumn festival, um, but we'd love to have a, a permanent spring festival as well. So if you haven't been along, do pop down there today at Melbourne Showgrounds. Um, there's lots for you to see and do and plants to buy by the bucket load if, uh, if you're interested. That's all we have time for for this week again. We will, of course, be back at 7.30 next Sunday morning. But until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.